In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... A lot of them aren't even... Even pretending to be in charge. Slow the testing down. Remove him from office. No justice, no peace. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Suck Podcast. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. Hello and welcome to the Betches Suck Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And I'm Sammy Fishbein. We're all here. Wow. And if you're except Caitlin, who we're missing, it's Caitlin's birthday week. So she is off for her birthday week, of course. Of Um, course. Of course. Love a birthday week. A birthday week, a birthday month. I think everyone's entitled to a birthday month in 2020. Yes. But anyway, if it's your first time tuning in, you're in for a treat. Uh, Today's episode is going to be part one of our mailbag episode. We invited you all to send us lots of questions via email and DM, and unlike the Postal Service, you really delivered. (laughs) um, Wow. That was great, Amanda. I loved it. Thanks. It just came came right out. You should start writing for Amy Klobuchar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It would be Um, a step up for her. Yes. Yes, yes. I don't know if I could handle the verbal abuse, but I mean, for Amy. <laughs> That's true. I forgot that what it means to work for Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> Valid galore. Valid, yeah. So we invited you guys to send some questions, and um, we got a ton. I wanted to note to my fellow hosts and to you guys, everybody was so nice and prefaced their questions with just exceedingly kind words about us and the podcast, and that's very kind. I think we should just do more Q&A episodes just so people can praise us more. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, um, we're probably. Going or they to could review this. the podcast. That's definitely review the podcast. Praise us there. Praise, praise us there. Unfortunately, I think it would look bad if I just copy and pasted all of their nice emails from like my own name. <laughs> I don't know if Apple would let, would let you. I don't think they would. That's where they draw the line. Um, so we also got some questions that we could do entire episodes about. So we'll probably plan to do that sometime in the future. If you don't hear your question, but. Let's get into it. So the first question we got this one a couple times, and I'm going to pose this one to you, Sammy, is how did you start this up? I would love to hear the backstory on how you started it and how you all came together. So in 2015, um, we had an employee who actually came up with the idea of doing like a snarky news email. Um, And Elise was a freelance writer and probably like our most inclined towards politics and like just, you know, really funny. So I, uh, we asked her to be the writer for the email um, that we were starting. There was no Instagram at this point. Um, But yeah, Elise was writing the email and we were sending it and that was kind of the beginning of this up. And then we decided... um, in, 2015, in the year of 2016, mm-hmm. people were becoming much more politically active and much more um, woke was the word being used at the time. <laughs> um, so we started the Betches Up Instagram since we didn't want to be posting like such political, blatantly political things on the main Betches Instagram. So we wanted to... And then, yeah, basically that. Um, and then... 
um, Elise was then hired full time to work for Betches. Yes, and, indeed. Yes, and that made um, you know that helped the sup get so much bigger. Um, having her here, Brian, we hired, we brought on as video editor and being really passionate about politics. He also got involved in the sup. Um, we at one point, and this is, I saw there was a question about like how did the podcast start, and that was like through because we. If you guys remember, Facebook Live was very popular, but they were inflating their views. Uh-huh. We wanted to start a news show um, like on Facebook Live that was coming out weekly um, when our views were like going up every week or so we thought. Mark Zuckerberg yeah, we were, us. Yeah, we were making all these videos and they were getting like such crazy views and we're like, oh my God. Yeah, we were like, yeah. oh my God, we're famous. This is insane. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. It's but popping really, off incredibly. But really, there were probably like actually 3,000 people watching it max. And um, then we, like once the Facebook views were like blown up, luckily we weren't too far along and we used to do really funny shit on it. Like we had literally the, like the Mueller report where Mm -hmm. we would dress up as like Russians and like have the P tape as a joke. Mm -hmm. There were, we had, we had props. We had a lot of props. There were signs that were were made. Yeah. And that is eventually, that eventually became the podcast. That you know and love today. <laughs> that's why I was talking we bring about back it. Props. Yeah, that's why I was talking <laughs> about it um, because it became the. That's what evolved into the podcast. Remember, we um, had a basket of deplorables, and we would yes. put people in it. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the kind of show you were in for at, when the original concept was there. Um, yeah. That what does was, it stand for? A couple people asked. It means like, "What's up?" Yeah. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. yeah. It's not a WAP situation. We should yeah. try to come up with a funny acronym, though, that would fit. I don't know. Yeah. Hard. yeah. Shut up, people. <laughs> um, the next question is kind of related, which basically have re- a lot of questions asked, like how we got to this point, how we got into what we majored in in school, if we use it now, how we started working at Betches. Elise, how did you get here? How did I get here? Um, Well, like Sammy said, I got hired full-time in 2016 after having written this up a little bit, but I had been a fan of the website when I was in college, and it was still the Betch list, and it was like very, very different than the website is now. So I remember when I first got to New York, because I had actually majored in international relations and Spanish, at Joe Biden's own alma mater, the University of Delaware. But uh, in the middle of that process, I actually decided I wanted to go to New York and be a comedian. When I got here, Betches just had like a thing up for writers on the website. So I applied and then I remember we had a, we had like a Skype call, Sammy, like eight, like so long ago. and we didn't Can't even remember like, that. It wasn't even visual. It was like just a voice. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't even like this. Uh, and then I started writing for the website. And um, yeah, then when you once they came to me with the sup, things moved into like a full time capacity. But for me, like I've always been a political person, which is why I, you know, volunteered for elections and and wanted I would pitch political articles to Betches. But I will also say that the election of Donald Trump, you know, I know that this is a 
like privileged position to have been surprised and to have been shocked and kind of rocked in your thinking by that. But I definitely was. And it definitely uh, changed what I thought I needed my level of political engagement to be. I um I went to college for uh, film. I studied film. Um, but, you know, I'd always been very politically, like, aware. I had very in- much interest in... I had a good history teacher in uh, 2008 who, like, really pushed us to pay attention to the presidential election and the lead-up to it. So that's when I really started to gain interest. And then when I was in college, I interned at The Daily Show in 2012 during the presidential election that November. And so I was just, like, all in very hyper aware of everything that was going on. Um, so that was very cool. And so all through all that time, I always had like a, I always had enjoyed politics, which is like an odd phrase. Um, and then uh, when I started, so I had worked at a company called Elite Daily. It was then, I had worked there for three months. It was then acquired by Bustle. I had been, I was laid off, which was honestly a blessing in disguise. Um, and, and, uh, someone I had worked with at Elite Daily, who was my boss, um, knew, uh, Sammy and Aileen and Jordana, and they had been looking for a Tyler. freelance, yeah, Tyler had been looking for a freelance video producer. And so I had to come up with some pitches that I sent to them. And one of them was like quite political. And it was like, um, if female senators had written the, like the healthcare bill, because remember in 2016, oh there was a big plan about coming up with health care. And then, and then so Sammy was like, oh, do you like politics? I was like, yeah, I love politics. And so that's like, so anytime we wanted to like make something more politically motivated, I would always like make sure it like took the mm-hmm. realm, the helm of it. And um, yeah, so I was, then I, I got hired, obviously, freelance video producer. And then there was one day when they were doing the podcast that Sammy couldn't do it for whatever reason. I don't know. So I filled in. And then we were the, the podcast was only once a week, so then we decided to do it twice a week. So that's when I started coming in on like rotation, and now we do it every day. <laughs> no, I didn't know. I assumed, yeah. Now we do it every day. I assumed that it started with the three of you. I did not know that it was originally a once a week Sammy Elise mm-hmm. joint mm-hmm. Facebook Live on Facebook Live. <laughs> that's great. Well, you guys still do do it together once a week. About yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's in the DNA. We yeah. Amanda, mm-hmm. how did you get here? Um, I went, what did I, I studied political science. So I started college in 2008 and I think that's when I got like pretty engaged. I didn't really, somebody else asked if like our parents were into democratic politics. At least I don't know if yours were, but like you always really, okay. I can't wait to talk about that. Cause I feel like mine were, I, I feel like mine were not. And I always used that as, as an excuse for being a late bloomer. <laughs> I've like literally been for months. Like, well, people like at least had parents that were super into it. <laughs> I definitely thought you did. Um, and that was obviously the election of that was during that intense primary between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And yeah, when I got to college, I just kind of like got, you know, how you get radicalized pretty quickly, like, oh, shit, this country's really bad. And we do really bad things. And we need to we need to stop. Um, I didn't like the school I went to in 2008. So I transferred and then um, came to the city. in I think 2009. Um, but in 2008, I had worked for Hillary in a couple of states. I interned, which is hilarious because it's just like a canvasser. Like, th- like sure, you can call yourself an intern, but you're just like free labor. So I had a friend that was into that too, and we drove from North Carolina to Kentucky to South Dakota 
to Illinois. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know yeah. you did that, Amanda. Yeah. That's cool. And we worked um, a bunch of primaries there. At the time, it was, you know, But you were really an intern. I guess, I, I mean, I was an intern. I was like, I was canvassing. And I was like, it was, it was exactly what an unpaid internship is, which is like spending a lot of your parents' money to like do yeah. marginally like things. Clinton's that love taking sort of I know. Clinton's yeah. love taking advantage of interns. <laughs> oh, no. I know. Oh, no. Oh, brutal. <laughs> I know. It's not only them. Yeah. Um, I majored in political science and German. Um, I guess I sort of use them. We'll see. After college, my first job was at, uh, my first job out of college was at HuffPost, and I did that for almost seven years before coming here. So I've only had jobs that are like this one. Um, this is my fourth election now that I'm like working in, and I'm only 30. So <laughs> I feel like I'm like a veteran at quite a young age. But, um, and then, yeah, I, I worked at HuffPost for six years. I was also laid off, and it was I don't know what I'm allowed to say since they did give me severance, but it it worked out well. I'm happy with the path that came after the layoff because within a couple months I was here. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. The next question is, oh, this is related. What would we be doing if we weren't working for Betches? <laughs> Sammy? <laughs> I don't 
do not know. Like I couldn't tell you. I've never done anything else um, outside of internships, as they say. Yeah. I don't know. Like maybe I don't know. Like HR, maybe because I studied <laughs> labor relations. Um, That's fine. I might have started like another type. It's possible I would have like had another project like come up just out of nowhere because like that I feel like is sort of my nature. Yeah. Like I come up with like ideas. Um, but I don't really know. I thought I was going to be a lawyer growing up. I, then I like hated going to LSAT class and I was like, fuck it. This is not like Elle yeah. Woods. Like I thought um, <laughs> I'm not going to be the hero and runaway jury. So this is not what I wanted. Um, yeah. I don't At know. Least. I was actually like quite, I had no like nothing I wanted to do after college. So it's lucky that this worked out. Yeah. <laughs> would have had to make yourself a different job at some point. Yeah. Um, I think I would be doing comedy less successfully. Yeah. <laughs> I think that working at Betches just helped me to get better as a writer. It helped to introduce me to a lot of people and like, I mean, through the podcast, through the newsletter. So I think I would probably still be doing stand-up and stuff, but with uh, with less reach, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with less uh, with less to show for it, probably. <laughs> probably same, but working for another media company, trying not to bash my head in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like all of us would be applying the same skills, just like at a different place or for a different reason. I don't think we'd have like fundamentally different jobs. Yeah, yeah, but in like a less fun way. I'll be honest, I'm not sure if I would have, although I've like always been like a pretty good writer, I'm not sure that I would have found media because I know that I would have pursued something higher paying because I wouldn't have like given it the chance, mm-hmm. probably, if I didn't like have my own, you know, thing that I was doing. But yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Who if knows? I hadn't found comedy, I always wonder. That's the thing where I'm like, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, my kind of thought was to try to work for a nonprofit or Mm -hmm. something like that. So I would have maybe or tried to work for a candidate or something. So I think maybe I would have gone down that route. But I decided that comedy was what I was going to do like my kind of by the end of my sophomore year of college. So I never even really like really thought about what else I would have done. Well, I feel like, so I was often like pigeonholed into being someone who knew how to edit and knew how to operate a camera, which like is very like important to know for my job, obviously. But I was never like producer as a video producer, but I mean like, but like obviously, but no, because like in a lot of like other places, like there's a video producer who's like handling what's going on, like coming up with the concepts and creating the things. Whereas there's the other person who's like shooting and editing it. And for whatever reason, I had a t- really tough time crossing over because I really just only wanted to do the, mostly wanted to do the other part of aspect of, you know, filmmaking. But, um, so I was, a- and luckily I was able to make that crossover here. So I don't know if that would have happened anywhere else, you know? Yeah. Uh, people also asked us, what advice would you give to someone who wants to enter the field? And I feel like we're all pretty good examples because, and I was like, trying to explain this to my intern recently too and that we all started with this maybe with the exception of, of Sammy like started with the skill set and are applying it to this particular subject area 
So like, that's the advice I give people. It's like, if you think you want to like do something like work for a woke social media brand, there aren't a lot of them. Like there aren't a lot of paths, but like, if you can just like strengthen whatever skill that you have and you can actually apply it to that in like lots of ways, like I could apply my skills to like, I could work for a nonprofit or I could do like PR for a politician or something like my advice, my answer to that question is just like, do get better at the thing you're good at. And there's probably a way to like apply it to somewhere in social media, politics, activism, that kind of thing. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Like Betches was a website that I just liked and would check. And then when they had a call out for writers, I answered it. And that was the beginning of a really like many years long relationship now. And, you know, when it first started, it was just like I would write a couple articles. It was like it wasn't, you know, paying my bills in any major way, but it eventually translated to a full time job and it eventually translated to the podcast and all of this stuff. So if you have mm -hmm. a brand that you're interested in or an organization or whatever, an account or something that you're interested in, like keep an eye out and see if they're hiring and, you know, make yourself available to them. And it might not be a full-time job immediately, but if you start a relationship, you're going to be someone that they think of when they're like, oh shit, we want to start a newsletter who's pitched us political articles, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I will say Elise and our editor-in-chief, Sarah Levine, are, they have, they're our, you're our longest standing employee relationships, which is like so crazy. Like I've known you a long time. <laughs> yeah. Point. From that Skype that call. Yeah, that's our Skype call. That's is going to be 10 in February, like, oh, which is crazy. I can't believe, like, that is even possible. But, like, I would say, like, my, my advice to, to people is, like, like, what Amanda and Elise said, which is, like, honing your skill set and then, like, just kind of, like, trying to aim to, like, where you want to be and building that relationship is, like, getting really clear on, like, who you are and what you want as early as possible and not trying to be everything for everyone um, mm. is probably like your best bet because like you will find someone who who wants what you're offering. But if you're trying to offer a little bit of everything, then you're it, it's you're you're gonna you're not gonna succeed as well um, as and as you would as someone who has like a strong sense of who they are, what they want, and like mm -hmm. their their own style. I would say like to that, it's like also, it's like just asking for it, you know, saying you want something and asking for it, you know what I mean? And like, cause no one's going to be like, how dare they want more? Cause everyone, everyone wants more, you know? Yeah. So like, I mean, me offering to do the podcast that one day, two or three years ago, and then being like, oh, we should do this twice a week. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like I didn't have yeah. anything to lose. <laughs> No, I think yeah. yourself out there is like, it's such, it's advice you hear a lot and I never really took it. But like, as a person that's like, now if we have a need, like I would rather look at the people that have already offered to fill it than like go start from square one. And mm -hmm. that's how you can sort of cut the line is by like getting there before anyone else starts lining up. Yeah. yeah it doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can yeah. be like a loose relationship or like even just a connection that you make one time. Maybe it doesn't work out the first time, but you think of them later. Like, yeah. 100%. And like, Brian, I feel like it was like you kind of, it was ballsy of you to include a political sketch in your pitches, but you did it. 
And lo and behold, there was actually like a budding opportunity for that exact thing at the company. So Mm -hmm. like maybe taking a little risk and being like, okay, I'm going to put this political sketch in there, even though like I'm not seeing that on the main Instagram account or their main page at this moment, like got you noticed and a different position even. Yeah. Also, I think like part of it is to our inherent interest in politics it might have been like lying in wait for an opportunity to like express it. Like at least that's how I felt for myself. Like I had Betches like long before I had the SUP, which is a place to talk about politics. Betches was like not quite, not really political. So this was just sort of like a personal interest of mine. Um, And we like started writing about the news a little bit like before, but I think that the opportunity sometimes comes and like, if you're prepared for it, you will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I feel like when you hear that advice, you never believe it, but you just have to like live it and then you learn. live it, learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. The next question, what has been the hardest thing to report on throughout the duration of the series? So since you started working with the supper on the podcast, Brian, did you have one for this? Yeah. I, when you, when I saw this question, I immediately thought of something. So there was like, I remember when, um, I, uh, Instagram was rolling out IGTV and we, they were like, they were like kind of preparing like media companies to be like, Hey, we have this new feature coming out get ready to do it. And this was before you started, Amanda. And so at this time, who was ever really doing the podcast was the one working on the outline. So, and that was, and it happened to align when the, so we were all like very excited about this new Instagram feature, IGTV. It's going to be the next big thing. We're going to take advantage <laughs> of it and blow up our podcast. Um, and uh, it happened to align with, so we were filming the podcast and it aligned with, the uh child separations and so you know all day i'm watching videos reading the news making this outline and by the time we get to the video me and elise are both like oh this is hard <laughs> like, we're like yeah. trying to do it we're like we're like trying to be like like because we're trying to like show people our, our podcast and sometimes it's a funny like lighthearted podcast with like news interspliced in and there was just nothing fun or funny about this story and it was like probably one of the hardest even podcast episodes to ever do and I always think about like sometimes when we do the podcast like we we record early and we then we go off and we do our work for the rest of the day and sometimes if it is a extremely troubling story that we're talking about it's kind of hard to like then be like, okay, now I'm gonna go write this comedy sketch about yeah. having sex, you know? Like, <laughs> and it's like so that was that was like the only like that really stuck out to me that moment because I remember like because that was also like you know 2017 2018 Six, I don't know it was like it was like it was like that was like when I was like oh fuck 18. these guys are gonna do whatever whatever you know, like before mm-hmm. it always been terrible but I'm like oh they're gonna they're gonna kidnap children. Yeah. You know, that was also the exact story that I thought of as being the hardest to report on. It's so funny. I remember being at the IGTV launch in San Francisco and like they would have all these events and I would go back to my hotel room and like watch the news and be like, how are we going to these events when there are like these children Mm -hmm. in cages? And yeah, I, that is, yeah, that was definitely, I think for me, one of the, like the hardest 
thing. I I thought of that one too. Um, that one was just like emotion, like personally, really hard to do because my dad came here as a child without his parents. So as that was going on and learning about that, it was obviously on a macro level disturbing to me. And then on like a very personal level, it was disturbing to me. So like navigating, like talking about it and also processing it was tough. And then the other one, which Brian and Sammy, I think you guys will remember this too was uh, the Kavanaugh hearings because we mm. would be watching them all day and then we mm. would record the podcast. And I remember you guys were recording the podcast when he was doing his, like, big speech. And yeah. I, I remember I was watching it and being like, and realizing as he was doing it, like, First of all, this is completely insane what he's doing. And number two, it's absolutely working and he's going to get confirmed. Like watching over the course of that and realizing it and being like, oh my God, I, I, I'm going to have to tell them in a minute like what has gone on here. And we're going to have to then go back and record again and talk yeah. about this. And it's horrible. And I just remember feeling like very overwhelmed on that day. Yeah. yeah. That's also the benefit of doing it every day is that like if something breaks, like you guys recorded on the day we're recording, you recorded the episode and then about an hour and a half to two hours later, they said that the postmaster general is going to say, okay, I'll pause all of these things. So like if that podcast were going to be our only podcast for like days and days and days in the feed, we probably have to go back and add to it. But now that we do it every day, it's a little bit easier to like stay on top of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the most challenging one was definitely uh, George Floyd's death. And, you know, we're still experiencing that story. Um, I'm somebody that I'm a highly sensitive person. Talk to Sammy about this. He just um, pees. It's, I try not to look away from things, but it's hard for me to function sometimes without looking away from things. But this was something where, you know, I think a lot of, I should have done it earlier, but I really, you know, decided for myself that I'm really not going to look away from the things that are, I was very aware of everything. Like I think I'm pretty knowledgeable, but I had not really exposed myself to the visuals that I think represent some of like the most devastating things, not just his death, but also just a lot of the images that resurfaced around then that I had always just wanted to look away from. Um, I kind of just, yeah. And that video of him came up constantly and that's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And it would come up over We all know this. We all saw it. And the four of us are, are white and watching that constantly over and over again. Yeah, that was the challenge. And also the challenge was just what that moment meant and wanting to use the platform. And we had plenty of discussions about this to, you know, stay in our, our lane and not speak for other people, but also, you know, it was just quite a balance. And that, that was the point of that moment too, or what that moment became was for everyone to just like be more, thoughtful about that but that was definitely the hardest thing because when I like what I learned I had like amazing colleagues at HuffPost and amazing editors and worked with a really diverse team and it was like always presented to us there you never talked there about getting canceled like that wasn't the concern like oh make sure you don't say this or we don't say anything that could get us canceled it was more like well getting canceled that just means you you've done we've done or said something or missed something that caused that hurt somebody and made them upset and was like a huge oversight and that's how i've always like looked at things 
I mean, obviously it's a weird environment right now that can be scary, but it's like, I, I genuinely would break my heart. The idea that, that something that I said or did would be received in a hurtful way. Um, but I felt like I had like the tools to sort of work through that moment, but it was just personally really, like I said, I think I spent a lot of time looking away and just like absorbing how terrible this country has been to most people for so long was, um, was like, it was a lot. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, That was, it is still very heavy. I think it was a heavy Um, time for every, I mean, everyone I talked to during that time. And like, like I said, it's not, it's not over. This was two months ago, but the Mm -hmm. time when images were resurfacing of things that had happened um, in the past was, was pretty, was pretty challenging. Would you ever consider running for public office? Sammy? I've already considered it. (laughs) And I don't know. I just like, I think like everyone's like, oh, like you should run. Everyone should run. I don't know if I'm like, really cut out for like public office necessarily but yeah and the fact the idea of like having to talk to people you know what i mean that's like, where i like, like we're like, all podcast like, hosts and we're like oh talk to people we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really talk to each other yeah right talk to like <laughs> i can't I, yeah yeah that's kind of a thing i'm a little too in- antisocial. yeah mm-hmm. At least you're not antisocial. No, but well, number one, I I wonder with the many thousands of tweets and grams yeah. and things of mine that exist and snarky pieces of writing, if if I really can run for office, number one. Number two, I do not remember people's names. And from my understanding is that is like a huge component of being a deaf politician. Yeah. Like Bill Clinton, remember the one thing that you always hear is that Bill Clinton like remembers every single person he's ever met. And that's what skyrocketed him to the White House, even though everyone knew that he was a philanderer. Yeah. Well, when we have politicians on the podcast, they repeat your name a lot. It's like a thing. They want you to know that they remembered your name. And so yeah. every question you ask, like, like I love Eric Swallow, but he always does it. He's like, well, Amanda, that's a great question. <laughs> hey, Amanda, true. would you ever run for public office? Because I think you would probably be the kind of person who would be like great at be at governing. That's the thing. I thank you. I, I don't see you that. campaigning. No, that I think that I have. That's the thing. I have like when I think about like think practically about my future options. I think that I have like the skill set um, and and some of the personality traits for the job itself. But yeah, I can't. I can't talk to people. I can't be criticized. Right. Absolutely right. not. And then I think about JFK. Like, oh my god, everyone talks about how charismatic was. He was on drugs. He was being yeah, I could be, I could be a, a politician if I were on drugs. Exactly. <laughs> if I was on Don't speed, you know? if oh, I was on speed, yeah. like every day, all day, I would be like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. Right. Maybe they are. All right. So now oh, everyone boy. listening knows that if they see Amanda run for office, she is I'm most likely on drugs. <laughs> Call for help. Call for help. Yeah. And then I was like, I, why? I could be like a deputy 
you know, like a chief of staff. But I, I always I like appointed to think, appointed post. Yeah, I like to think that in like an a, an iteration in like my fifties that maybe that would be part of it if something like fundamentally changes about my personality. <laughs> yeah. That's it for part one, you guys. We're going to be back for part two and another set of questions. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell-Smith. I'm Sammy Fishbein. And this has been the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SUP at Betches.com. Betches.